1: Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Just an apology. if I missed Uncovered earlier this week. If you're a, someone who is, uh, what, what day does that come out? Monday or Tuesday, whatever day it is, and you're like, I I based my whole week around this, you know, that's my early week podcast. I'd like to apologize, but yeah, I ended up in a uh, holiday area where that didn't happen. I've had to rush this one out as well. So apologies to the Patreon crew. They probably didn't get as many chances to put the questions in as they normally would as well. Manon says, are there any cricket video libraries where you can watch old games, a ball by ball, uh, such as something from the 2003 world cup or from a random bilateral? So, they used to be full games up on the ICC uh, Facebook page, so I watched the entire England Netherlands game there. The one from what year was that? Two thousand nine. I think that's right. Yeah, two thousand nine. So that was a fantastic game, um, you know, to watch and. really interesting to look back at it from uh, you know from a modern perspective and everything else um, but sadly Facebook uh, Facebook sadly the ICC started taking those down so obviously uh, they didn't want that there were other full games there as well I don't know how many and I don't kind of know why they had put certain full games up there uh, the 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 truth is there just isn't I, I don't know why some of the other boards don't do it even if they don't want to put up you know the entire seven hour files. They could actually, especially with some of the older stuff, you know, put up complete innings or complete spells from bowlers, um, uh, you know, or you know, cut it down and do a lot more. But they haven't. Uh, I'd love it if there was more and more of that sort of stuff available out there. But as it currently stands, it's not. Uh, it's not great. Obviously, Roe Belinda and the other, you know, was it what's the other guy called? The Desi uh, Roe Belinda, um, and there's a few others out there now. Uh, what would you call them? Sort of. Pirate archivists, which is a ridiculous term, but that's probably how they're seen by the cricket boards. Although a lot of them have been hired by cricket boards now too, uh, they have all this and would love to do it, I'm sure. Uh, but sadly, we're in a situation where we can't do that. So, it, look, I think it's a problem. I, I think one thing I like with the old um, NBA app is you can go back a long time and you know see everything you want. I'm happy to pay for it. Um, you know, if all the boards got together, imagine that. Um, they could, you know, release uh, cricket.tv just with old games on it. And I would still pay for that and go back uh, through it. I think it would be a great product. Um, as usual, cricket boards leave something um, uh, on the board. And, and, you know, the best you could do is some of those extended highlights that some of those archivists put up is probably the best um, that we can get. But, you know, it is ridiculous uh, how much cricket has been filmed and is available um, in a recorded space, but it's not actually shared with, I don't know, the people who pay for all right ram kumar says what is the most effective way to get all the data to analyze player and team performances and what t- tools do you need other than excel I, I mean i wouldn't say you need excel you know we use excel that's where our skills are, are limited by um uh, you know the best way uh is obviously if you can code uh, the best place is Cricksheet or Cricksheets. I always forget if it's Cricksheet or Cricksheets, and I say it really confidently um, and can never remember it. But that's that's the best way of doing it. That has all the ball-by-ball dancer in the world. Obviously, there are now websites uh, – in fact, my, my man, uh, Emil Desai is uh, he's put out um, his own website, which I haven't even gone to yet to have a look at what he's got up over there. Um, is a metric I think it's another one that's out there. Um, so there are some people who are, are putting some of this stuff available online. But if you really want to do analysis, the best place is to start from scratch with uh, Crickmetric, um, with Cricksheet. Um uh, But you do need coding skills to be able to get to that information. Patrick says, does Cameron Green at number three in limited overs make sense? He could. He could. I think in one-day cricket, I don't think I have any major issues with him batting at number four. I think in T20 as he is now, it probably makes a lot more sense to use him as an opener. That's where he's, you know, had the majority of his success so far. I think if Mumbai don't want him to be an opener, and I think that's a fair thing if they want him to be a number five, a number four. Yeah. um then they need to spend the next year developing him into that right um and a similar thing with Australia like how are they going to develop him as well where does he best fit in um I think with skills in one day cricket he can be pushed down the order a little bit more I think with his skills in t20 cricket he's probably closer to the top number three is kind of halfway between all of those different things so perhaps there is a you know a good space for him to be able to move into there but we're a long way in knowing from knowing what he is as a limited overs cricketer and i think that is part of the problem here there's a lot of excitement about Cameron Crean, and you, you get this all the time with all-rounders and then uh, i've talked about this a lot with Shadab khan Shadab khan got you know so much excitement about him and then there was a bit of a backlash against him um, and now he's developing into the kind of cricketer that, you know, Pakistani fans probably demanded he be from day one. It takes time. You know, Jadeja wasn't a good batsman for what? I want to say best part of a decade. Is that fair? I'm trying to remember what year he's A long time when his batting skills hadn't, you know, come across. Vittori was supposed to be an all-rounder early on in his career. Um, Shane Watson, after he got injured, had to sort of learn bowling and and in some ways change the way he batted as well. That would probably be fair, wouldn't it? Um uh, you know, Ben Stokes still averages under 40 in Test Match Cricket. Or renders developed in a, in a much different way than, I think, other players. Um, and because of that, there's a lot of extra pressure put on them because we know what they could possibly do. And, uh, oh, and I don't want to say it stymies their development, but you have to be smart about it. Um, and, and that's why I say, you know, Mumbai needs to make a decision where where do they want him to bat long term and then invest their time in that um you know get him in some other leagues if at all possible um hopefully he gets played down the order for australia you know all these sorts of different things that's how you develop players and it'll be the same for australia if mumbai decides they want they want him in one position australia decide they want him in another position well then it's, you know australia need to work out how the best develop him outside of what he does for mumbai Th- those are the sorts of conversations that should be having had already. I do feel it's a little bit excitement at a new toy at the moment. And and I get it. He's a very, very talented player. But if we if he's going to develop the way that the teams who have him want him to, there has to be a lot more to it than, well, he's really good. So let's just, you know, see how he goes. Uh, ben King said, other sports have much more tra- sexy trade deadlines and in general, more tra- uh, trade more. Will franchise leagues start to follow suit um, and if so, how do they increase trade volumes? So there's a, a few different reasons. Hey, cricket's terrible at trades. Um, ben, you can go back and have a look at – I've done a few videos on this. Um, Mumbai, I've made out like bandits quite a few times. There was the Ben Dunk for some bloke who from Tasmania <laughs> trade in the Big Bash. Part of it is because it's draft, like proper draft in a lot of these leagues. Um, although even when there is drafts, I don't seem to use those that equity – Um, available to them to, you know, trade away first round picks. Maybe that will start to happen more and more as teams go forward. Um, That's one problem. Another problem is like, I I think I've talked about this in the IPL. If you're trading away a player in the IPL, if you're trading away, and, and a lot of American sports leagues work this way, If you're trading away a team in, uh, if you're trading away to a team in another division or another conference or whatever it may be, you don't actually have to go up against that player very much, and chances are you're only going to play against them, you know, towards the pointy end of the season, Um, and that means you've already had success in your team, and it's not the end of the world. You know, when the IPL had eight teams or ten teams or some of these other leagues, you know, six teams and eight teams, if you're trading someone away, they're right there. So it is different. You are going to play against them more and there is going to be a bigger impact on you if they do well for another team. The seasons are very short, which is another interesting one, but th- there's absolutely no doubt. I I talked to some IPL insiders uh, that when they had a look at my um, T20 trades, uh, sorry, my last IPL trades um, video, and they were sort of saying that the owners don't really get the concept of trades yet. Um and so the owners are asking for things like cash back for their team. So don't get me wrong. That happens. You know, that's you watch Moneyball gets what a, a can machine or a can dispenser um, soda freeze for his team. These things happen. Right. And I think that's absolutely, you know, part of it, but when you're an IPL owner and you've, you know, you are very, very rich and your team is a, you know, a billion dollar enterprise um, and, and you are, trying to get a couple of hundred K back um, to put into research and development for your team or whatever it is, you could invest that yourself and not lose a really good player. And you, I've always said this, a lot of, a lot of trading in sports is about maximizing your roster. And that's the bit that bothers me about what these teams are doing. If they were taking a couple of flies at a couple of young players from another team, you'd be like, okay, that's an interesting thing. If you know, they, they had one star that wanted out, when they got back at, you know, a mid-level player, you know, it's maybe some uh, better draft spots in another team, another league, not the IPL, obviously, um, uh, which the auction may not help with any of this, of course, um, as well. Uh, but, you know, a couple of spots like that and maybe some cash. Then you're starting to think you're moving in the right direction. But, yeah, it's not very good. I do believe that they will work it out. I do think it will happen more often. It'd be very, very interesting to see how it goes into the future. I think that's... I think that's a really, really I'm trying to think of the best way of putting it. I think that's a one thing that that might be the next area that teams you know, really start to dominate And We've already seen Mumbai do it. I think you'll see other teams in other leagues around the world start to dominate, and that's when teams will take it more seriously, is my guess. Manon says, how to play contracts work in the OPL and other leagues around the world. Are they only contracted for one or two seasons? Can the contract be renewed, or do they have to go into the auction? It, that just depends. All. It would be – that's kind of, man, an, an impossible question to answer for you. Um, it Generally, uh, I, most players would be on a one or two-season uh, contract, depending on the player, the amount that has been invested in them. Obviously, all these leagues – and you know, some of these leagues still do this, where they have a reset after four years and you can only keep a, a couple of players uh, – that you do you, you don't get that many very very long contracts out there chris lynn is the chris lynn i did it again chris Green is the one with the seven-year contract where he must be a few years into that one i would have thought by now um there aren't many players out there with those kinds of contracts i don't think there's many other big bash players with those kinds of contracts out there that i can think of off the top of my head anyway And in the other leagues, because they have these reset valves in them where they have a mega auction or a mega draft every four years, you don't get the ability to do that. So when I was at St. Lucia, we were at the end of that cycle. So I think one player had a contract going in, which I think was Keswick Williams. So I had to re-sign him in the next window. um, And then I had complete flexibility with the other three players. So I don't know... uh, You know, uh, Rakim Cornwall might have been a player. You might say, well, I'll give you a four-year contract because we know we want you for this entire cycle. You know, and Kyron Pollard probably wouldn't have wanted a four-year contract, or maybe he would have if the money was right. Um, But he might have wanted a one-year or a two-year contract. Um, So there is some negotiations between teams and agents and everything else. As far as what happens afterwards you can re-sign with teams um, and, it, you know, and you can certainly sign before the auctions. A lot of the auctions and the drafts that you see in T20 cricket are uh, agreed beforehand. They're complete. It's a mockery of, of what it is. Um, as a bit of a, a debacle from that point of view. But you can certainly have um, a situation where, um, where, there is some live decisions being made. Um, and there are some live auction spots or live draft spots or whatever it may be beforehand. But there's a lot that's already pre-agreed. Um, you know, I, I it was involved with a league where I was told what our third pick was beforehand. And I was like, How do we know what our third pick is? We don't know who which plays we're gonna get first and second. So knowing what our third pick is, <laughs> I'd like to know what we're doing first and second. So all right, sorry. I feel like I'm blacking out again a lot. But this is the last podcast at my parents' house, so Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends nine nineteen. No refund. Subscription auto-renews. All right. Welcome back. Uh, Keshav said, Hey, Jar. my question is whether the impact substitute rule is going to affect the quality and quantity of all around it. <sighs> no, because that rule won't stay as it is forever. If that rule works, we'll go on to something far different. So that rule probably won't affect it. But eventually, if we get to a point where you have substitutes and you have, uh, let's say... I think a realistic amount is three substitutes in the next, you know, in five years' time in T20 cricket, at least in one or two leagues, if not all leagues. By that point, then I do think it's going to be something a little bit different. I do think at that point, we will find um, um, that all rounders are um, worth different amounts. And, you know, the guys who can bowl the one to two overs um, when the conditions favor them probably won't be as important perhaps going ahead. I don't think until we get to full substitutions that all rounders will ever not be helpful because let's say you had, let's say you had Andre Russell and you had five um, and you had five bowlers. Andre Russell is still, if if Andre Russell is your sixth bowler um, in that situation, but can also bat in your top 10 um, in, in this weird sort of substitution world, what we're talking about, he's still really valuable. Right. And so, uh, you know, we're seeing with um, Shohai Otani in the baseball how a valuable a player can be when they can still do both things. And so that's a sport that had kind of tried to kill all around us for the last 100 years. So our sport breeds them in a different way. Um, you know, so I do think there will be players that will continue. I can't see how Shaki Balasan, Andre Russell um, – Cameron Green, if he comes good, Ravage Deja, Moen still wouldn't be valuable going into the future because they give you an extra variation. So if you go into a game and you know you've got 10 absolute gun batters and you still have another bowler who can rag the ball one way or the other, why, you know, that's still a huge advantage. It gives you huge flexibility in in your, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 player roster, whatever we get to. So, Yes and no. I do think the sort of bits and pieces that chip in may be less useful unless they unless they actually have like, you know, like a who's a, who's a good one. Uh, Anton Devsic would be a really interesting one going into the future because you know on ragging pitches, Anton Devsic, for a part timer spins the ball a long way. He might always have some value, whereas that sort of David Hussey type all rounder may be less so. And says, is it just me? if England not produced as many great players as other top nations post-war, especially considering their resources. In an all-time Test eleven, how many English would there be there? Yeah, I if you look at my book, um, Test Cricket: The Unauthorized Biography, you will see that from 1960, well, basically from boycott, started boycotts career, and through to Joe, Joe Root, um, there really aren't that many universal great English players that come through. You know, obviously both of them was incredible, but he doesn't live up to the potential that he showed when he was young. And he does sort of fade away a little bit. He he still ends up with very, very good overall career stats, but he wasn't as good as Imran Khan. Right. And he wasn't as good as Garfield Sobers. So he doesn't make that team. There aren't that many other players, uh, you know, even Jimmy Anderson, as good as he's been. If Jimmy Anderson had been as good in the second half of his career as he was, well, sorry, if he's been as good in the first half of his career as he was in the second half of his career, he's all-time type player, but he's not an all-time go, even if he'll end up having the most wickets ever. So they've had a lot of players like that, um, and I've talked about it quite a bit, and it's, I, I just think everyone else caught up, and everyone else used county cricket as a nursery to better improve their players, but the English players weren't playing as much first-class cricket outside of county cricket. County cricket also has its own flaws where it's set up; um, it's not particularly set up to produce test players. Um, it is probably much better off to like hone the skills of someone who is already a test player than it is to actually set one up from scratch. There's many other you know parts of that, but no, I mean everyone thinks this i think um, you know the the 80s they were terrible the 90s they were probably better than we remember but the 90s you know they they still didn't really go anywhere and they were you know ranked behind zimbabwe at one point uh the early 2000s obviously had the 2005 era then they get to 2010 so we do have that and they weren't they weren't dreadful in the 70s Um, And they were still pretty good in the 60s, but they haven't produced the same level of top-level players. I think that's very, very fair. And it's, you know, uh, the white ball stuff also seems to have have gone into this. But there's no no doubt that they stopped innovating um, and developing players. And as cricket became international, they kind of fell behind. And it's obvious that that happens. Anyway, it says, I always see people commenting on older videos about how the quality of cricket has declined over the years. Nostalgia about their childhood is certainly a factor, but is there any actual truth to this? Actual quality of cricket in some ways is less strong. But if you go back to the 1970s, if you go back to 1972, England were okay, Australia were just starting to get together, South Africa were gone, Sri Lanka didn't exist, India and Pakistan were a long way from their best selves. New Zealand were, a long, were, were not very good. Is that it? If I named everyone? I mean, cricket's way stronger than 1972. You do have a bit of a interesting... So the 80s are really interesting. Never been good before. All become good at the same time. So the three best teams in the 80s are West Indies, Pakistan, and then New Zealand right but england and australia are not particularly good and india aren't very good um although obviously they won the 83 world cup i'm kind of combining a few different things here but but aren't brilliant at that point um certainly you know nothing compared to what they were now right the 90s is what you're really talking about right and this is proper nostalgia right but it's also the fact that i've just said england wasn't as bad a team as people remember and yet they were ranked under zimbabwe zimbabwe with the ninth team in test cricket. And they had, you know, the Flowers and he streak and Strangs. They had some really, really strong cricketers for the worst team in cricket at that point. Sri Lanka had Murali, they had Voss, um, they had, you know, Arjuna, Aravinda de Silva, you know, a lot of quality players there. And that's Sanofya Saria, a lot of quality players there and thereabouts in that team as well. Uh, so again, you know, those are the two worst teams in that era. After that, you get Bangladesh comes in. Obviously, we now have Ireland and Afghanistan, if we're just talking more test cricket. But you also have Scotland and the Netherlands and Namibia and Papua New Guinea and, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of who else is, um, you know, UAE had a little moment there. um, You know, uh, USA cricket, wherever that is, Canadian cricket, uh, wherever that is, Kenya. So there's suddenly more cricket everywhere. It's impossible for me to think that the standard of cricket with more people playing it around the world, with more money involved in it, has gone down. The tightness of that sort of 90s era has disappeared. But the, 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 to, to think that the bowlers are faster and the batters hit it further and the bowlers, um, the spinners spin it um, uh, at a quicker speed and the fielding is better and yet the overall quality of the cricket is lower, I'd find that almost impossible Um there are things that make it look less quality, which is the batting averages have gone down and the batting averages have gone down because of, you know, uh DRS and the way that bowlers have adapted to that. The fact that it is easier to do analysis on a batter and find a weakness is to do analysis on a bowler and work out how to handle them. Um, so there's so many different things involved um, in how, in how these things go ahead. But yeah, I'd, you know, I'd find it almost impossible to think that the quality of cricket is worse um, than it was in any other era. Um, it's different, and it's really, really different. We saw from 2000 to 2016 one of the greatest batting eras that there has ever been in cricket. Um, and to go from that to top-order players not being able to survive five balls is probably grating on a lot of fans. And I, I think that's fair. But do you know what was grating before? They kept talking about how flat the pitches were and how it was all weighted towards batter. You can't win. Dev says the hardest shot in the book to play. I mean, when you're saying in the book, does that count the deal scoop and paddle scoop and all those? Those are harder shots to play. Any shot with premeditation is harder than a normal shot. I think some of those shots come very easy to people. I've talked about this before. I don't particularly have a problem playing the reverse sweep against off spinners and leg spinners. Sometimes left arm finger spinners give me trouble. I get myself a little bit uh, reverse sweep in a way that most other people do. Um, But, Once you're premeditating, you are obviously, you know, causing a huge uh, amount of variables um, that you can't control anymore. So I'd say those are the hardest shots to play. I think if you look at the, you know, the overall analytics, the amount of – if if we had proper bat sensors – all the time, I would say that the shot that is probably edged the most is probably the hook shot. Again, it, it makes sense. It's a you know short ball at your head. There's not much you can do to control it. Um, sometimes it's above your eyes. You're sort of flashing at it a little bit. Um, so I think that's another very hard one. If you're looking at the sort of the more standard sort of shots, the hardest one to hit for most players is the on drive um and then the back foot drives are probably the other two you know you i think players can either back foot drive or they can't back foot drive um you know a a little bit again there but there are probably players that will tell you the hardest shot to play is a sweep right that's the thing about cricket it really depends on the player themselves oh one last one i would say is what percentage of leg glances do you think actually hit anywhere near the middle of the bat and are meant to go there uh says is there any way we could ask ea to create another cricket game so if you go to my instagram i I played the 1991 i think it's called international cricket which i think was the first cricket game made in australia not sure if it was the first cricket game made any in the world certainly nothing on the green Gucci Allen border game that came what year and a half two years later uh, which was much more developed um yeah i I played ea i mean i've played most of the cricket games i suppose at least a couple of times over the years. I, so much so that people say, have you played this? And they gave the name. I, I don't know the name, but when I see the graphics, I can probably remember how to bowl an in or an outswinger or play a cover drive on them. Um, I did love the EA, um, uh, you know, the cricket games, but I've got nothing – I'm trying to remember what that Australian company is that makes all the new games. I think they do a really, really good job. I think it's a really hard game to come up with, and I found playing their game, so I've got it on the Switch it's the most realistic bowling game where right? I feel like you actually are bowling a little bit, you know, so you might bowl three or four straight ones and then, uh, you know, you bowl the um, across seam delivery or something. And, uh, you know, it, it, w- it seems to work a lot better than the other ones where you know, swinging the ball violently one way or the other. And, um, you know, the ball's still swinging really late in the game and all those sorts of things that used to happen on some of those games. Um, I think it's really, really good. I don't think I enjoyed batting on it as much. And I think batting for me uh, is on most of those video games, you kind of find a hack for batting, right? And then you can make a lot of runs. Um, was it the Shane Warne game? You could sweep everyone all the time. Was it Shane Warne, Brian Lara game? Um, you know, and, and I do think that, that that for me sort of in a way that I've never really seen that in, let's say, an NFL game or a basketball game or a football game, Um which are, I still think the best sporting games are usually those games. And, and that's just because maybe they're just easier to code for. I, I don't know. Anab uh, says, in, in terms of difficulty in all sports, um, is fastballing in the pantheon is the toughest things to do? I think that's what Anab means. Yes, I suppose, you know, boxers might um, disagree. But you get a gap between boxing, don't you? Do you know what I mean? I don't – I mean, you'd have to go through all the different sports and have a look at the, the average span of someone. But if you are a genuine fast bowler, I would say, you know, bowling fast, you know, without injury over a 10-year period would be a minor mi- miracle. If you are medium fast or fast medium, there are obviously things you can do at that point to mitigate some of those issues. But, yeah, no, I definitely believe um, from that perspective that there is um, – it, it, look, it's up there. I think it's up there. I, uh, another one I would compare it to would probably be something like a running back, where there was a point at which in with cricket with, with cricket, what are we talking with the NFL, where they stopped paying running backs a big amount of money, and what they started doing was going, there's no point paying this guy a eight year career to be a running back when actually what we really want is a fresh person to be able to uh, be a running back, and as they get older, they don't maintain their their worth. And why is that? Because they're running through a field of people tr- hitting them over and over again, right? I think fast bowling at that point is the same. The one difference between that and running backs, perhaps, and I'm not not a huge NFL person, is you know the flexibility, of course, of once you have played international cricket for eight to ten years as a fast bowler, or even six years as a fast bowler, chances are you will have learned other skills. You know, Mackay and Tini came in without a lot of skills. And by the end of his career was a very skillful bowler. Pat Cummins could bowl the outswinger and now he can bowl pretty much any delivery he wants, right? You know, there are, you know, Jimmy Anson was an out now fast bowler when he was picked for England. And now it's one of the more skillful bowlers they've ever had. So perhaps it's a little bit different in that perspective, but actually just running in and bowling as fast as you can um, for, you know, for a long period of time, I do think, and, and I've said this a lot before that a lot of the fa- the really fast bowls are usually picked probably too late, Right, you always have to pick them at the moment you think that they can find a decent line of length. Um, and I think Shahabakhtar was a marvel, although you know he uh, did have the um, a penalty for steroid abuse at one stage, or or whatever it was, whichever drug he um, uh, he was found guilty of using. So you know, I, I don't know if that that had anything to do with the longevity of his career. But by the end of his career, uh, I watched him play for Surrey. He's, he got the groundsman. <laughs> he got the groundsman to come on midway through. When he was fielding and stretch him. He was broken. He just looked broken as a you know this incredible athlete just looked completely broken. And you know, in a way that you do see with the you know the running backs and boxers, I suppose, where there's almost nothing left on their body working by the end. So it's it's tough. I don't know where it would get, be up there. You need you know. I don't even know how you would work that out. But the stress that they put through their body um, for each delivery must amount to some of the worst stuff of all time. I've probably told this story before, but Ali Studer always says when he's talking to young bowlers, you're going to hurt probably for the rest of your career. And then after that, for the rest of your life, every day, it's going to hurt when you do this. Um, I remember when someone, someone asked me recently if we should have injury substitutions. And I said no, because they're too easy to manipulate. And I said the easiest way to manipulate it is no fast bowlers ever fit. They always hurt, right? There's always a hot spot. There's always something not working. There's always pain. There's always, you know, uh, you know. There's a great video Ian O'Brien put up years ago where he put a drill into his big toenail and splurted out the blood. That's fast bowling. And Mo says, doesn't the fact that franchises can unilaterally cancel contracts dissuade trades in the NBA, you might uh, trade off a player you don't want, uh, you don't want to pay in the IPL, you just cut them. Yes, that's fine. I actually don't mind that if you, if you think that you've made a mistake and you want to get rid of the player, but shouldn't you be trying to get something back for that? Because if you just cut that player, yes, you get the money back, right? Great. What you don't get back is anything for the fact that that player took up a huge amount of your um, cap space and took up a huge amount of your roster, and you've just lost that player without getting any players back for them, right? Without getting anything back other than the money you're not paying them. And, and you hear this a lot. That they, I've even had team owners say things like this before, and I was like, yes, but you're still losing out. All you're saying is, we cut that player free, we're not paying them anymore, right? You haven't said, we, draw, we, we got this player in an auction, we paid them an absolute fortune, someone else is probably going to want them, uh, but we're just going to get them off their books. It's much better not to do that. Right, so I do think there's a there's always a better way of doing that as well. All right, last three. Angus says now that it looks like Bancroft will never play for Australia again. Do you know of any other players who have not been selected due to personal grievances beyond the obvious like Katic. I mean, there's hundreds. It's you know, there's a great story with Matthew Elliott upsetting all the players and never playing for Australia again, or at least not for about three or four years. Um, Dean Jones would be another one from Australia. So there's two from Australia that the that player, you know upset uh, people around the camp for various different reasons. So obviously, you know, Vinod Cambly is probably a very, very good one. Um, Santh would claim to be one of those, I think, um, towards that sort of middle end of his career before the, the fixing ban. Um, Kevin Peterson, a <laughs> fairly famous um, example. Um, it happens all the time. It, you know, with, with cricket not being as professional as it should be, these things do occur. Um, is it you know, we, we see a lot of um situations where players and um selectors are very, very biased. They pick players that they want and go down that that route. Um, I think it's happened far too often, but I think it happens in other sports too. Players are traded away because coach and the other star player don't want to play with them anymore. This these things happen. DM 95 says, if Shane Bond uh, ever remained fit enough to play 80 tests, how th- good do you think he would have been? Look, I think the thing with Shane Bond is he probably would have been that generation's version of Cummins, although that generation did have Alan Donald, but yeah, he's probably slightly younger than Alan Donald. So yeah, he's probably that generation's version of Cummins, right? Not quite as complete as Cummins as, you know, He but he was probably, you know, more, uh, more um, skillful than Donald as well. Um, Maybe maybe that's the wrong way of putting it. He's probably more skillful as a young bowler than Donald was. Um, So we would assume that he would have aged in a similar way. You know, if you look at Donald Bond and and Cummins, I kind of see them as the guys who comp. You know, who who mix together skill and pace. Um, And I think Bond would have been one of those. And I think he would have maintained the ability to bowl very, very fast. And with all the skills he would have picked up along the way, I think he would have been unplayable. He was a fantastic bowler. The fact he's gone on to be a coach and a very well-respected coach, I think tells you how smart he was as well. This wasn't just someone who ran in and bowled fast. Alan Donald was also a coach. He's a coach. Was a coach. Assistant coach? Uh, Rohit says, why do bowlers change balls that go out of shape when they're relatively hard? When I bowl with an out-of-shape ball, they bounce unpredictably and hard to bat against. If you ever see a club cricket ball that's, being, um that's gone around for radio overs and you have the chance of ever seeing a test ball that goes around for radio overs you will understand that we are not playing the same sport as they are <laughs> um uh, when that when they get going getting rid of those balls that aren't in the right shape, it's because they're going soft once a uh, a ball goes soft at that pace uh, you know the top batters just get, get completely on top of it what you're talking about is that sort of when when a ball um sort of warps a little bit in club cricket it usually remains fairly hard when doing so and so the ball still doing something um if you get unpredictable bounce with a soft ball most top order batters in test cricket can still handle it so you don't have the same impact that you should have um there's a really good question though but that that is the reason and that's the that's why they want it they want that ball to be as hard um for as long as possible because eventually it will get hit into mosh um It's just not the same. Anyway, last podcast from Australia. Thank you to everyone. Sorry if we had the cutouts again, doing the best I can. Not ideal, but uh, this is what we have. Uh, But thanks to everyone for the support and thanks for the questions. Great questions again. And I will be back again next week for Uncovered. And who knows? Sundarisen might actually exist in real life. But bye for now and thank you for the support. thanks for listening to wagon wheel on 99.94 remember to download our app or just search for 99.94 where you find podcasts or on youtube this show has an ad-free version via patreon which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well there is a link in the show notes and if you want more content well i have good news for you because we have a lot of things you can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapiya producing podcasts, Maida Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.